in a romantic corner of a fancy restaurant sat a couple in their mid-60s celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary. They clinked their, their glasses together, and when they did, they heard, they heard a poof, and there was this wisp of smoke, and all of a sudden there was this tiny, beautiful fairy that appeared before them, hovering over their table. And she said to them, because you have been such an overwhelming example of a married couple, and you've been so loving to each other all these years, I'm going to grant you each one wish. And the wife clapped her hands in delight, and she answered excitedly, Oh, I, I would love to travel the world with my beloved husband. And the fairy waved her magic wand over the woman, and poof, there were cruise ship tickets and, and airline tickets and, and hotel reservations to, to the four corners of the earth. Now it was the husband's turn. And he reflected for a moment and he said, well, now this is all very romantic, but an opportunity like this will never come my way again. My wish is to have a wife 30 years younger than me. The fairy was disappointed, but a wish is a wish. And so she answered, your wish is my command. And she waved her magic wand over the man and poof, instantly, he became 95 years old. <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. How about one more? Yeah, yeah, I just thought of this one. The guy's walking along the beach there, and he kicks the lamp, you know, how the genie lamp is, and he, he dusts it off, and the genie appears and says, you got one wish, this three-wish stuff, that's, that's just a myth, you get one wish. And the guy, he's been anticipating this moment for years, and he whips a map out of his back pocket, and he says, you see this area here in the Middle East? I'd just like for there to be peace there. I'd like for those people to get along and live together in peace and harmony. And the, the genie says, are you kidding me? They've been fighting one another for thousands of years. There, there, there's no way. You've you got you to gotta wish for something else. The guy thought for a minute, and he said, okay. He said, I wish that Notre Dame would beat Alabama for the national championship. And the genie thought for a moment and said, let me take another look at that map. <laughs> At least you didn't boo. <laughs> End of the year, we always do something a little different. And I guess the difference today is that this is a very personal message. This is just me kind of expressing my heart to you. Because one of the things that I've learned during my years in ministry is that uh, in, in a lot of ways, in, in many ways, a pastor is similar to a parent. You know, the way parents love their children is really similar to the way that the pastor loves the people in the church. And the way that parents want their children to learn things and experience things that will, that will help them to grow and to mature, to be successful in life. The pastor wants the same kinds of things for the people in the congregation. And just like a, a parent has, has hopes and dreams for what their children will be, what their children will become, the pastor has similar hopes and dreams for his people. And I want you to know something. From the moment I became the pastor of this church, 
I began to dream dreams and have hopes and have wishes about our time together and about how God would use us, would use this congregation to expand his kingdom in this community and around the world. And I wasn't sure if that was a good analogy or not uh, until I read something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. It was a church that he had, had started, a church he had planted. And when I read what he wrote, it told me I was right on track in what I was thinking. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Paul says this, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. Look at verse 11. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Now, let me tell you something else that, that pastors have in common with parents. In general, pastors think a whole lot more about the church and about the people in the church than the church thinks about the pastor. I, I mean, after you leave church, for the most part, uh, you, you, don't, you don't give me, you don't, you don't really give the church a second thought the rest of the week. And I'm not complaining, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you just don't think a whole lot me, uh, about me or about the church. But let me tell you something, I think about you. And I think about this church all the time. There's not a day that goes by when I don't think about this church and when I don't think about the people and the families that sit in these seats. And here's the deal. I don't spend very much time thinking about things that have happened over the past seven years. I'm thinking about the future. Thinking about the future of this congregation, the future of this church, your future. And let me tell you... I don't, I don't believe anything more strongly than I believe this. This church has a fantastic future. You know, I came here after a period of turmoil, a time when, when there were some people who wondered if this church could continue to exist, a time when there were people in this community and even in this church who were ready to just close the doors, you know, disperse of the property, Scattered to the four winds, and one of the first things that I told you when I came here, those of you that were here, there's just a handful of people that were here at the very beginning. One of the first things I told you was that God had not closed the book on this church, that the last chapter of this church had not, had not been written, and it still hasn't. It's a story that's ongoing. It's a fantastic future that God has for this church. So today, I, I, I want to share with you some things from my heart. Again, um, a little bit of a different kind of message. Um, you, you take it for what it is, because I, I want to share five things, five wishes that I have for each one of you for the coming year. And not just this year, but the year after that, and, and the year after that, and the year after that, and every year for the rest of your lives. I See, just like a parent has hopes and dreams for their children, I have hopes and dreams for you. And so I want to share five things that I wish for each one of you for 2013 and beyond. Here's the first one. 
I wish everyone would walk in God's truth on a daily basis. Everyone would walk in God's truth on a daily basis. The Apostle John said this in 3 John uh, verse 4. There's just one chapter in 3 John. In verse 4 he said, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. And, And just to be real specific with you, my hope, my wish is that every one of you spends time every day with the Lord. You call it whatever you want to call it. You can call it a quiet time. You can call it a devotional life. You can call it Bible study. You call it whatever you want to call it. But my prayer, my wish, my hope is that every one of you is reading the Bible and letting God speak into your life on a daily basis. And that every one of you is, is in prayer so that you can talk to Him on a daily basis. I, we want to help you. Out in the foyer are resources to help you do this, to help you plan and execute regular daily Bible reading. Some of these we've been sharing with you for years. Out at the Welcome Center is this piece of paper. If you've been coming to church here more than a year, you've seen this a couple times. This is just a, just a checklist that could take you through the entire Bible in a year. Last year, we, uh, we, we offered the Essential 100 It's a Bible reading plan for the first 100 days of the year. It takes you through the essential story of the Old and New Testament. And this year, we've added two magazines. We've added two devotional magazines. The the Daily Walk, if you'll use this all year, takes you through the the Bible, the complete Bible in a year. Gives you devotional thoughts and prayer thoughts for every day of the year. Tapestry is designed more for women to help them develop and grow their, their devotional life. These are available to you out there. We just ask for a donation of a dollar apiece for each issue to help us offset the cost on these. And here's what this wish is all about. Here's why we even even bring this up. Because my hope is that on a daily basis, we would learn to respond biblically to the things that happen in our lives. That, That we would learn to make every decision and face every circumstance to take every curveball that life throws at us, every storm that comes our way, and respond in a biblical manner. Think about how much simpler life could be if we could get there. My hope is that we all get so full of God's truth that, that we just automatically know how to biblically handle every situation that comes our way. Whatever it is, wherever it comes from, whatever the situation, that we would know how to respond biblically. And more than that, beyond that, I hope that our walk with God grows so deep that we would trust Him in everything, that we would obey Him in everything, that we would walk by faith in Him in everything. I hope we get so full of God that as we experience Him on a daily basis, that we would let Him lead us out of our comfort zone. Get ready for that one. You might want to write that one down. You're going to hear that a lot this year, or next year, 2013. I guess it's not next year yet, is it? You're going to hear that a lot. See, we need to let God lead us out of our comfort zone. So what does that mean, Pastor? That means we need to be willing to leave a job if God tells us to. Somebody's out there going, uh-oh, here's where he tells us we've got to move to Africa now and be a missionary. No, I'm not telling you that. But it wouldn't hurt any of us to take a missionary trip, to go somewhere and serve some people, to be willing to, to go into ministry, 
to be willing to, to change our lifestyle, to downsize if God told us to, so that, we could, so that we could do more, so that we could give more for the cause of Christ. And, and, and i, I got to say this, my wish, this wish is for everybody, but it is especially for those of you who have been followers of Jesus for a long time. Because let me tell you the problem with being a Christian for a long time. It's being a Christian for a long time. Because you know what happens? The longer we're Christian, the fewer unsaved, unchurched people we tend to know. We tend just to relate and talk and know and move in circles that include other saved people. We, we tend to, to just associate with people who are kind of like us, who have similar education, similar uh, backgrounds, you know, similar incomes. Most longtime followers of Christ now only follow Jesus in their comfort zone. We've got our routine, right? We've got our favorite seat. You know how I know some of you aren't here some Sunday? I just have to look at a certain seat. That seat's empty. They're not here. Now, some of you try to fool me. There's some of you that move around a little bit, but, but most of you sit in the same place every Sunday. Most of you drive the same exact route to and from church every day, every Sunday. Some of you go to the same place to eat after church every Sunday. You're, you're in a rut. <laughs> That's where <laughs> we get the word rut from routine. Too many followers of Jesus have, have never given sacrificially to the Lord's work, and they never will unless something changes in their lives. Too many followers of Jesus have never, have never been on a mission trip. It doesn't have to be overseas. I mean, it can be, but it can be right here in our community. Never reached out and served somebody, been a missionary to somebody, and you never will unless something changes in your life. Too many of us never shared our faith with anyone, and we're not going to unless something changes. That's why I wish that everyone in this church would walk in God's truth on a daily basis. Because Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free. It'll move us out of our comfort zone. It'll set us free of our routine, and it'll move us into a deeper, stronger, more active walk with God. And that's wish number one. Here's number two. I wish that everyone would experience the joy of seeing people cross the line of faith into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's my wish for every one of you, that you would experience the joy of seeing people that you love and people that you know and people that you work with and people in your family and in your friendship circle and in your neighborhoods cross the line of faith into a relationship with Jesus Christ. A little bit later on in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says this, same chapter, 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. He says, after all, what gives us hope and joy? And what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when He returns? It is you. Yes, you are our pride and joy. Paul was talking about people in the church that he had led to Christ. People who had come to faith in Christ under his ministry. And he says, you're going to be part of the reward I receive when Jesus comes back. You're going to be part of the, the crown that I wear when Jesus returns. You 
are the source of pride and joy. And I hope every one of us can experience that joy. I hope that, that one day, every one of us will have someone who, who comes up to us in heaven and says, thank you for loving me enough and caring for me enough to tell me about Jesus. Thank you for helping me cross the line of faith. We need to, we need to always remember and never forget this. Everybody is going to spend eternity somewhere. Do you hear me? Everybody's going to spend eternity somewhere. Listen, heaven and hell are real. They're real places, and real people really are going to go to one of those two places when this life is over. We have nothing to gain by pushing that thought out of our mind. Well, I won't think about that. Either for ourselves or for anyone else we care about. Equip yourself to share the gospel, to share the faith with another person. It's not like there aren't plenty of resources out there. Learn the Romans road. You know, share verses only out of the book of Romans. Learn, learn what they call the ABC method. Learn the bridge to life in Christ. Use Billy Graham's steps to peace with God. Use Bill Bright's four spiritual laws. Find something you can use to share the gospel. The Bible says for us to be ready to give an answer to those who ask, to those who inquire about our faith. Maybe you're a connector. You know, maybe you're not a good explainer, but you can connect people with someone else or with, a, with an environment where they can hear the gospel. But help people cross the line of faith. I'm telling you, there is nothing that can compare to the thrill of helping someone come to faith in Christ. And I hope you have that privilege. I hope you have it where you live or where you work, where you go to school, on a mission field somewhere. I hope each one of you personally has the privilege of seeing the power of God bring people to Jesus Christ. Here's wish number three. I wish that everyone would experience financial freedom. I wish that everyone would experience financial freedom. I, my wish is that every one of us would, would, would know that this verse is really true. This, this is something that Paul said, the Apostle Paul said to the elders from the church at Ephesus. When he was seeing them, he thought, he, he felt in his heart, he was seeing them for the very last time. So he wanted to communicate some important things to them. And this is part of what he said. It's in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Oh, there he goes. Preacher's always talking about money. Hey, this is about more than money, folks. This is about the condition of our hearts. Remember a few weeks ago, I preached about money. I preached a whole sermon about it, something I very rarely do. Well, one of the things I said there is that, that we make a, every, all of us make a common mistake. We tend to think that our money follows our passion. In other words, that we find things that we're passionate about, things that we, that we want to be involved in, things that we're excited about, and we go and do that, and then our resources, not just our money, but our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure, follows that. 
But Jesus said just the opposite was true, didn't he? That Jesus said this in Luke 12, 34. He said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said what you're going to find in life is at the places where you're putting your resources. That's going to be what consumes your interest. That's what's going to be what consumes your time. That's what's going to take up your resources. See, I know something about every one of us. We will never be fully mature, faithful followers of Jesus if our treasure is in the wrong place. It just can't happen for us. And so my wish is that, that, that every one of us in this church, and, and let me say this, we come from different backgrounds, different income levels, different, if you want to use a, a phrase, socioeconomic levels. One of the, that's one of the things I love about this church is just the, the diversity in, in that area that we have in this congregation. But, but can I tell you this? If, even if you think you don't, you don't have anything, let me share some things with you. you. You think you got nothing. You think I'm poor. Just the fact that you live in the United States of America puts you in the top 15% of the world's wealthiest people. Guess what? If you have a home and transportation, that puts you in the top 10% of the world's wealthiest people. And if you eat at least one meal every day, you are in the top 5% of the world's wealthiest people. The United States of America has the wealthiest poor people on the face of the earth. Listen, I understand. You know, my, my father-in-law has got a saying. He, sa he says, uh, well, I'll have to clean it up a little bit. He says, <laughs> he says, there's no shame in being poor. It's just inconvenient. And sometimes it is extremely inconvenient. I understand that. I'm not taking anything away from that. But what I'm telling you is that we all have something we can give. You know, the Bible tells us one time Jesus just sat and watched the offering being taken up. And he watched these rich people coming in and giving, giving things. And he was just like, ah, okay, big deal. They've got a lot. You know, they give a lot. But a widow walked in. Understand, in those times, to be a widow meant you were destitute because you hadn't been educated. You most likely had no job skill that could benefit you outside your home. You know, you, you didn't have a, a husband to represent your interests. And she gave, the Bible says she gave two coins. They were called mites. A mite was worth about six minutes of a daily wage. She gave two of them. Today that means that she would have given about 75 cents. And Jesus said, she's more blessed than all these people because she gave all she had. All gave some, but she gave. So my wish is that we would get so much more excited about giving than we do getting. 
that, that we would get to the point where we, we would have to come up with ideas about what to do with all of the money that's given to this church. <coughs> Excuse me. I, I, I'd, I'd like for New Hope to develop a reputation as being one of the most unbelievably generous churches anywhere. You know, I've thrown this one out there a couple of times. I'm still, I still got it in my mind that we're going we're gonna to buy a house and rehab it. And we're going to give it to a single mom who doesn't, who's in substandard housing, who doesn't have housing that she can depend on. I've still got it in my mind that we can buy uh, cars and we have the, the people who have the experience and the tools to, to fix them up and get them back on the road and we can give them to people who don't have dependable transportation. Just give them away. You think that's crazy, don't you? Listen, one day when we leave this planet, we will look back at all of our stuff, all of the toys and the trinkets and the stuff that we worked so hard to buy and the stuff we accumulated, and we will realize that we make our life, we make a living not by what we get, but by what we give. Pastor from Birmingham, Alabama, David Platt, wrote a book, Radical. Is the name of the book. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for several months. And the whole book is about just, just making a radical commitment to Jesus Christ and understanding that our resources are not for our own comfort, but it's for the sake of others and for the, the sake of the kingdom. And there's a sentence in that book that punched me in the stomach. This Platt asked this, Do you think that God will ever approach you in heaven and say, I wish you had kept more for yourself? I wish you had bought yourself more stuff. So my wish is that every one of us makes progress toward getting out of debt, learning how to save, learning how to give, and beginning to see that God, that, that, that what God has given us, that everything God has given us is a tool that can be used to meet needs and build the kingdom. And again, we want to help you. We want to be a resource to you. In, in the past, we've used Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. It's excellent material. We're going to use that again in the future. But, but this year, we're going to focus on a resource by a fellow named Joel Sangle entitled, I Was Broke, Now I'm Not. Because I think that's where most of us live. So you'll be watching for that. That's a, it's a six-week small group study. You'll be watching for that this year. My wish for 2013 is that each of us would just experience the financial freedom that allows us to give generously for the sake of Christ and to put our own interests and our own um, um, preferences aside for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. And here's number four. Wish number four. I wish that everyone would find happiness and fulfillment in serving others. That we would just get happy serving others. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, we're told to serve each other in humility. And I'm going to take a moment here to thank all of our volunteers. To thank all of the people that it takes week in and week out to help us do church the way we do church. I, I want to thank the people who work in child care in the nursery areas. Because you are, without question, without a doubt, the unsung heroes of this church. Who, who just who love and take care of those little babies and those toddlers so that their mamas and daddies can be in worship. Listen, you, you're not just changing diapers and wiping noses and passing out cookies. You're making a difference in someone's life. 
And I want to thank the volunteers who work in our children's ministry. My goodness. Those who, who, who do children's Bible teaching and, and help children with activities, who help build an environment that kids want to come to and be a part of. I want to thank our student ministry leaders for the work that they do. I want to thank the people who greet at the door, who pour coffee, who work in the Welcome Center. Some of you are here from 8 or 8.30 in the morning until 12.30, 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Some of you are here earlier than that. Poor old Will back there, I think he gets here at 7 o'clock every Sunday. But some of you come and you spend half your day here because you understand the importance of serving in one service and worshiping in another. We could not do this without you. And let me share my experience, an experience that just humbles me every time it happens. And it blesses me at the same time. It's whenever I'm out and about, whether I'm you know, at the gas station or the IGA or at a restaurant or at a ball game, it's not uncommon for people to come up to me and talk about our church. And, and, and listen, they rarely ever thank me for something that I've done or something that I've said or a, a message that I've preached. They thank me for what you do for something that that you've done. They talk about how great our children's ministry is. How their kids are waking them up on Sunday morning saying, we got to go to church. How exciting our student ministry is. How friendly the church is. Or how someone reached out to them and helped them when they had a need. And so my wish is that every one of us would find a place to serve in this church. Some ministry where we'd like to serve on a regular basis. Listen, I don't know what you think you're going to be doing when you get to heaven, but the Bible is pretty clear that our occupation in heaven is going to be serving the Lord. This is dress rehearsal. And so my wish for you is that you learn how to do that now. You learn how to serve Him here, now. And here's the fifth. To, to, to my heart, I've saved what I think is the biggest for last. Wish number five. I wish that our church would have the same passion for the unchurched unbeliever that Jesus did. That we would have the same passion for the unchurched unbeliever that Jesus did. Jesus was a storyteller. He he, he spoke in parables. In fact, in in the Gospel of Mark chapter 4, It says that in his public ministry, Jesus never taught without using parables. And far and away, the best-known parable he ever told, maybe one of the two best-known that he ever told, was the parable of the prodigal son. I've preached about it here many times. You know it's in in Luke 15, but if you go back there and look, you will realize that the parable of the the prodigal son is actually only one part of a three-part parable. Before Jesus talks about the lost son, he talks about the lost sheep. One sheep out of a flock of a hundred that had gone astray. And then he talks about a lost coin. One piece of silver out of ten coins that a woman had. One of them had gone missing. And in both of those parts of that parable in Luke 15, the lost thing sets in, 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 in motion this chain of events, that's just incredible. 
It is cause for alarm. It's cause for total disruption of the normal routine. We're told that the shepherd leaves all the other sheep, 99 sheep, and goes and looks for the one that was lost. We're told that that woman, you know, she doesn't look at it and go, well, I got nine coins. You know, I just need to be more careful in the future. No, she stops what she's doing. She stops her work. She turns the house upside down until she finds the one that she had lost. And then Jesus puts in this funny little thing. He says that they called their friends and neighbors and said, come and let's have a party and let's rejoice, let's celebrate because I found my one sheep that was missing. I found my one coin that was lost. Don't you think their friends and neighbors thought that was a little weird? You got a hundred sheep and you lose one, you know what you do? You just you, you try to be more careful in the future. You, you got to take care of the 99. You got to make sure they're getting what they need and what they want, right? I mean, that one, that's just, that's acceptable loss. What do you mean you, you pulled everything out of your house and swept every corner until you found one coin? Are you kidding me? Don't you have more important things to do than that? Why can't you just make sure you had those nine in a safe, secure place where one of them couldn't get lost? Jesus says they, they left those things. They moved heaven and earth. They, they turned everything upside down to go and find the one that was lost. And then they called people and said, let's come celebrate. And listen, the point of those stories is that God wants those of us who do come to church to be a lot more concerned about how we can reach people who don't come to church than we are about ourselves and what we like and what our preferences are and the music we like and the temperature we like the sanctuary to be and the seat that we like to sit in. And one of the most amazing statements Jesus ever made. He said this about his purpose and mission. This is in Luke 19, verse 10. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why I've come. To seek and to save the lost. You know, it, it may not always be obvious. In fact, there are times when it may look a little chaotic. But there is a method to what we do around here. There's a reason why we create the environments that we create. Why we do children's ministry the way we do. And why we create the environment that we do in our student ministry. Hey, I had a parent a couple weeks ago on Wednesday night. I came in just to, to, to you know, see what was going on in here. We had the, the youth were in here. And I had a parent come over to me and say, Pastor Scott, I just want to tell you this. Thank you for the environment that you've created here for these young people. I said, it's not me. It's Chris, and it's Anya, and it's their sponsors, and it's their commitment to young people and their vision for serving young people. But there's a reason why we do those things. There's a reason why we want things to look a certain way and sound a certain way. And, and don't miss this. It's because we want to do whatever it takes short of sin to make unchurched people feel comfortable at our church and want to come to our church. Whatever it takes. 
I'll even dress up like Elvis. I'm going to make a bold statement, but I mean it with everything from the core of my being. The church should be a place where people who don't know Jesus want to come just as much as the people who do know Jesus. And if you don't understand that, let me say it this way. When an unchurched person, an unchurched unbeliever walks into our church, I don't want them to experience church. I want them to experience Jesus. I don't want anything else to get in the way of them experiencing Jesus. I don't want any stumbling blocks. I don't want any things where they go, I don't understand this. Or this seems weird. Or this is kooky. I don't want any part of this. Or I'm not sure I believe that. My wish is that every one of us would have such passion to reach the unchurched unbeliever that we would be willing to give up our preferences and the way that we think church ought to be so that we can concentrate on creating an environment where unchurched people can come and find God. See, I grew up in a church that I didn't really feel comfortable bringing my unchurched friends to. Maybe some of you can relate. Because they would not have understood it. They wouldn't have gotten it. And what's more, they probably would have been more put off, more scared off and, and pushed away from church and they would have been curious enough to come back. So guess what? I didn't invite them. Some of them are lost today. We want this to be a place where you can bring people that you care about and people that you love, that you're not embarrassed about or, or ashamed of or, or, or feel like you know, you're going to have to explain everything to them or where they can come and feel love and meet Jesus. That's what we want to do. Let me tell you about Johnny Lechner. Johnny Lechner got his college diploma in 2006. Well, big deal, Pastor Scott. What's so great about that? Well, the big deal is that he had been in college for 12 years. And that the University of Wisconsin at Whitewater finally had to force him to graduate. After 12 years. Because he had been there too long. He was 30 years old when he graduated, still living a college student's life, dressing like a college student, still living in the dorm, going to college parties. In fact, one of his major goals for his last year in college was to go on two spring break trips, 30 years old. Why did he do that? Why did he stay in college all those years? Because he enjoyed the lifestyle. He enjoyed the low expectations. He liked sleeping late. He liked playing music with his friends and going to a couple of classes and hanging out with his buddies. He said, college is my perpetual comfort zone. So I guess if I could sum up what I wish for our church, it's that every one of us, in the areas of knowing Jesus, 
and trusting Jesus and loving God and knowing God and obeying Him and serving Him and sharing Jesus could get out of our comfort zone and be everything He wants us to be. Please don't put me in the awkward position of wanting more and better for you than you want for yourself. I want to partner with you. I want to help you. I want to provide resources. I want to equip you to move forward. These wishes, they're not like the wishes that we make when we blow out the candles on a birthday cake, right? Or when we, uh, when we see a falling star, somebody picks an eyelash off of our cheek, whatever it is we make wishes on. It's not like, you know, the things I hope for, like I hope Alabama wins the national championship. It's not like that at all. These are the desires of my heart. These are the things that I, that I pray for, that I pray for you and I pray for our church. And my prayer today is that as, as you've heard this message, if any of this has resonated with you, that you will begin to pray too. And you'll begin to ask God to move you to make them a reality in your life and in your heart in the coming year and beyond. Bow your heads, please. Close your eyes.